Last week, we talked about some joy killers. And I made the, uh, I reminded you that there are a lot of joy killers. There's a, there could be a long list of things that could kill our joy. But we just looked at a couple of them, uh, the two that we found right there in the text and uh, seemed to be particularly appropriate for uh, the experience that we're all going through together. We looked at anger and anxiety as uh, two joy killers. Well, this morning, I want us to look at joy builders. And again, there would be a long list of all the different kinds of joy builders that there are, but uh, we're only going to look at two or three of them. And to help us with that, we'll, we'll be in um, chapter 4 at verse 8, as we find the first joy builder is to think positively, to think positively. And you know, there's a reason that, that Paul has to remind his readers and us to think positively. For some of us, we, we have to train our minds to do that because we kind of automatically think in the opposite direction. We, we kind of automatically think a little more negatively. You know, there are some people, you could give them a donut and all they'd see is the hole in the middle. You know, we, some of us just have to be retrained or reminded to think positively. I, I read recently about the poor guy that um, he just recently got married and he wanted to honor his wife. He wanted to, to um, you know, show love to her and let her know that she was cherished. And so uh, right after they got married, he decided he was going to start things off right. So early one morning he got up and he made breakfast and he bought, he brought her breakfast in bed and uh, among other things there was a poached egg there in the breakfast and she she looked at her plate and she said poached egg I wanted a fried egg well he kind of got his feelings a little bit hurt but he understood and he thought about it so the next morning he decided well he would do it again he got up early he made breakfast and this time because uh, because he had been listening he had been caring and so this time he he fried her the egg that she said she wanted to fried egg so he brought her breakfast and it had that beautiful fried egg on it and she looked at it and said a fried egg today I wish I had a poached egg a poor guy just couldn't win. He started catching on. You know, I don't know what I'm. I don't know how to do this. So he figured out what he was going to do the next morning. He got up early. He made breakfast, and he had a poached egg and a fried egg. This way, he's got it covered. This way, she's got to be happy. So he he brings the breakfast into her with the poached egg and the fried egg. She looks at it and says, "You fried the wrong one." Some people just think that way automatically. They just, without even meaning to, without even noting, noticing it sometimes, they just, they just go toward the negative. And so Paul, in the last part of chapter 4, says, guys, life is too short, and what we do is too important, so... Build your joy first by thinking positively. You see in verse 8, he says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, 
If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. The implication is almost think about these and not the others. You can almost hear what he's saying is don't waste your time thinking about the stuff that's not on this list. Instead, think positively. As you look at the world around you and as you look at, at, at what you have, you look at your experiences, man, think about the stuff that's true and honorable and just and pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, those things that are excellent. Think about the stuff that's worthy of praise. These are the things that should capture your attention and should fill your mind. When he says think on these things, that's a great word, think, because it doesn't just mean, uh, you know, to, to, to have a thought and then move on. This word could be translated calculate. It means to take account of. He says to dwell on these things. Take account of them. Think these things through. It's actually the word that, that might be used of a workman who is planning his project. Think it out. Think it through. Dwell on these things. Some of us need to reboot our brains. And to start dwelling not on the problems and the issues and the hurts, not dwelling on the anger, not dwelling on pity poor me, things aren't good. Hey, guess what? Things aren't good for anybody right now, okay? Some of us need to reboot our brains a little so that we can focus on, dwell on, calculate with those things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy, of praise. You know, if we filled our brains so full of that stuff, there just wouldn't be room for all the other stuff, for all the negative stuff. Last night I had to um, I had to help Lisa with a project. She was trying to close the drawer in the kitchen and it wouldn't close all the way. And you know what that usually means if the drawer won't close all the way. Something had fallen back behind that drawer. And so she couldn't close. Something was blocking it. So the only way to fix it, the only thing you can do is pull that drawer out and take out whatever's fallen back there, you know, clear the runway kind of thing, and then put the drawer back in. Sounds simple. Until you pull the drawer and it stops. And you can't pull the drawer out. I've... I knew what I needed to do, but I didn't know how to do it. And so I had to look at that little glide thing on the side, and I had to look at this thing over here, and I had to get down under there and see how all the mechanics worked, and I was trying my best to figure out how to undo this drawer. Finally, I found there's this little bitty plastic lever on this side and a little bitty plastic lever on this side. One you pull up and one you push down, and you got to do both of those at the same time as you pull the drawer out even. I finally had to figure, I finally got it figured out. We got all the stuff out, put the drawer back, and everything was fine. 
But I couldn't, I couldn't pull the drawer out until I was willing to spend some time focusing, thinking, planning. Paul says, spend your time, brothers and sisters. He's speaking to Christians. Spend your time, brothers and sisters, focusing, planning, calculating life based on these positive things. He tells us to think positively. Now, I know I've mentioned this a number of times as we've looked through the book of Philippians, but remember where Paul was when he wrote this. We can't, we can't forget that when we read through this book. Paul had been unfairly arrested. He had been unfairly tried. He had been shipped off to Rome. He was in prison, and for all he knew, he might be waiting on a death sentence. And as he is sitting in prison, waiting to find out if he's going to live or die, he says, hey guys, think about stuff that's true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and worthy of praise. It's amazing to me how he had learned to have a, a positive outlook in spite of his circumstances. He chose to think on the things that were positive, regardless of his situation. You see, thinking right is the key to finding peace and joy, regardless of my situation. Right thinking is the key to peace and joy, regardless of my situation. You may remember the great old story. It's one of my favorite stories about the, 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 the new monk who goes to the monastery. Do you remember the story? The monk goes to the monastery. And in this particular monastery, they have what is basically a vow of silence. They don't get to say a word for an entire year. At the end of each year, they are allowed to say two words. So you, you work and you serve and you put in your time and at the end of the year you can go and see the abbot. The abbot is like the head monk. He, he's in charge of the monastery. And you can go and see him and say your two words. So this young monk, he works and works and he serves and he does his thing. And, and at the end of his first year, he goes to see the abbot and his two words are bed hard. He goes back and he does his work and he serves for another year and he's doing his thing and they're all doing their thing. And at the end of his second year, he is allowed two more words. He goes back to the abbot to say his two more words and he says, food bad. Well, he goes back to work. He does his thing. He puts in another year at the end of the third year. He goes back to the abbot and this time his two words are, I quit. And the abbot says, well, that's probably a good thing because you've done nothing but complain since you've been here. You know, that's, that's the way many people live. All we can see is the stuff to complain about. All we can see is the problems. All we can see is the, the things that aren't fair. All we can see, we live like that. 
And Paul would say to us, don't let your situation dictate your outlook. Even Ben Franklin, through Poor Richard's Almanac, said, happiness depends more on the inward disposition of mind than on outward circumstances. Regardless of what we're going through, we can choose to think on these things. We can choose to focus on these good parts of life, the blessings, in order to build joy, not only in our own hearts, but in the lives of those around us. In order to build joy, we first think positively. The second joy builder that he gives us is to follow positive people. Paul shows us that the second joy builder is to follow positive people. Look at verse 9. He says in verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Notice that this is one paragraph. You can't take this verse out and separate it. It goes with the verse before it. Whatever is true, honorable, think about all these things. Whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, blah, blah, blah. And then verse 9, and you've learned how to do that. You've received teaching on it. You've heard me do that, and you've seen me live this kind of life. Therefore, practice these things. In verse 8, he said, think on these things. Verse 9, he says, now practice them. And how can you practice them? Because I've been an example. I've showed you how it works. You know how to be positive because I've been positive with you. You know, people say opposites attract. I'm not sure I believe that. It hasn't been my experience that opposites attract. You know, uh, my wife is a beautiful person, good-looking person. Of course, she would marry a good-looking person. I, I'm not sure that opposites attract. Uh, matter of fact, I think, I, I think the exact opposite. I think negative people attract negative people. And I think positive people attract positive people. Matter of fact, I've been working with people a long time. And as I've been working with people over time, I've learned something. I've noticed that this happens in schools, in businesses. I've seen it in civic clubs. I've seen it in churches and small towns. And that is this. If you know the people well enough, you can talk to someone for 10 minutes and figure out who they hang out with or who they have lunch with. I could go to that school across the street over there. I could talk to a teacher for 10 minutes and I can tell you who she gets her lunch hour with. Because negative people attract negative people. Positive people attract positive people. Negative people love to be reminded that they are right in their negativity and so they surround themselves by negative people and they all make each other feel right. Positive people 
love to experience positive experiences. And so they share those po- that positivity with someone else, and that positive person just soaks it up, and they begin to share that positivity with those around them. Positive people attract positive people. If you kind of if you kind of tend toward a more negative outlook, if you're honest with yourself enough to decide where you are on the spectrum and you realize that you kind of naturally lean toward a more negative perspective, I want to encourage you to intentionally surround yourself with positive people. Don't wait for it to happen. You have to make that happen. You go and you sit at a different table. Or you go and you talk to different people. Or you, you start hanging out with a different crowd. Because I'm telling you, all this stuff is, is contagious. Negativity is more contagious than COVID. And so is positivity, by the way. It's catching. And so Paul says, catch it from me. I'm infected with positive thinking, and I want you to catch it. In verse 9, he says, you've seen it, you've heard it, you've received it, now do it. Verse 8, think on these positive things. Verse 9, now live these positive things, because I've shown you how. He shows us how to build joy. First, by thinking positively, and then follow positive people. And then the third joy builder that he gives us is learn to be content. Learn to be content. There's a great old legend that is apparently based on an actual event. Diogenes was a a well-known, famous Greek philosopher. And he was around at the same time that Alexander the Great was in power. Alexander the Great and Diogenes had never met each other, although they had heard of each other. And, um, you know, they, they were both well-known, so they, they knew who each other was, but they had never actually met. According to this, this legend that has been told for hundreds of years, Diogenes was kind of relaxing, and um, he, was, he was sunning. He, he, was, he was laying out. He was just kind of enjoying the sun. Alexander the Great, the most powerful man in the world, wanted to show honor to this great philosopher. And so the most powerful man in the world steps up to Diogenes And he said to Diogenes, ask any favor you wish of me. Diogenes apparently replied, please move out of my sunlight. Now here is the most powerful man in all the world who could give this guy anything he asked for. And he just said, could you move? Could you move out of my sunlight? Apparently, Alexander the Great left that meeting and said to those who were with him, if I could not be Alexander, I would be Diogenes. Meaning, 
If I could not be the most powerful man in all the world, I would love to have the contentment that Diogenes has. I would love to be content. He could have asked for anything, but he was already content. He didn't see a need for anything except for that guy to get out of the way of the sun. We learn to be content. Let's pick it up at verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Don't get hung up on the semantics of that verse. It's a little bit confusing. It just means I, I know you wanted to send me a donation, but you couldn't get it to me. But now someone, probably Epaphroditus, someone has brought that donation to Paul. And he's received it. And he's saying, I, I, did get, I did get your donation. Thank you for that. I know you wanted to send it a long time ago and just haven't been able to. It's kind of his roundabout way to say thank you. But in the same breath, he doesn't want them to think that he, that he needed that because he is, he is in such dire straits. He wants them to know that God is taking care of him. And so he says in verse 10, Thank you for the gift that you, that you got to me. I know you wanted to do it a long time ago. Verse 11, not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. Remember where he is. And he says, I have learned. Whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content. Now, the emphasis is on learned because that's, that's not something that's ever going to be natural for any one of us. Contentment has to be learned. It is by focusing on those things in verse 8 and then living a life that demonstrates that in verse 9 by surrounding ourselves with positive people that then we can begin to learn what it means to be content regardless of the situation around us. He says in verse 11, I'm not speaking out of need. I've learned in whatever situation I'm in to be content. That's a hard lesson to learn. But you know, contentment is not based on what you have in your pocket. It's based on what you have in your heart and your head. It's not based on material things. It's based on how are you thinking if you're thinking like verse 8, you can be content regardless of what you've got on your plate. Two old friends met each other on the street one day. One looked really sad, almost on the verge of tears. His friend said, hey, buddy, what's, what's happened to you? What's wrong? The sad guy said, well, let me tell you, three weeks ago, my uncle died and left me $40,000. Well, that's a lot of money, said the friend. But you see, the sad man said, two weeks ago, a cousin I never knew died and left me $85,000, free and clear. Well, the friend said, well, that sounds like you've been very blessed. Oh, you don't understand, said the sad man. 
Last week, my great aunt passed away, and I inherited almost a quarter of a million from her. Well, the friend was really confused and said, well, then why are you so sad? And the man said, this week I didn't get anything. <laughs> and, you know, there are so many people that live this way. Yeah, I got, I got a place to live. I got a, I got a house. I got a job. I got people who care about me. But I don't have that. Paul says, I've learned the lesson. I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in. You know, I like to quote Spurgeon. He says things so well. Listen, he said, you say, if I had a little more, I would be satisfied. You make a mistake. If you are not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Now, he's right, isn't he? If I'm not content with what I have now, you could double what I have and I still won't be content. Why? Because it's not about what's in my pocket. It's about what's in my heart and in my head. It's about the way I think. So Paul says in verse 10, thank you for the gift. I did get it. Verse 11, but don't think that I needed it because I was hurting because I want you to know I've learned to be content. Verse 12, I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. When he says I've learned to be brought low, what he means is I've learned to be poor. And I've learned abundance, he means I've learned to be rich. He's been both. He said, I have learned to be content when I'm poor and when I'm rich. Now, he said something that really caught my attention, and I want us to make sure we don't run past it too quickly. Did you notice the last part of that verse 12? He said, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. There's a secret to facing both of those things. You see, it's more difficult to learn how to be full than it is to learn how to be hungry. I've learned, he says, I've learned the secret of facing plenty. He said, I've learned to know when I have enough. I've learned how to face being rich, being full, and knowing that I have enough. And then he says that he has learned to face hunger and need as well. Is that your testimony? Are you able to say, when I'm poor, I'm content. When I'm rich, I'm content. When my belly is full, I'm content. When I'm hungry, I'm content. Is that your testimony? Or are you one of those people that's always looking for that greener grass on the other side of the fence? There's always something better. Always somebody's got something that I don't have. I want something different. Paul says, I've learned to be content. And then look at verse 13. How have you learned these things, Paul? Well, because I can do all things 
through him who strengthens me. Now, that's that verse that we all love so much. That's the verse we see everywhere. But did you know that that verse actually has absolutely nothing to do with athletics? Look at it in its context. What is that verse really talking about? It's talking about the life lesson of contentment. How in the world can you learn to be content in a jail cell looking forward or looking toward potentially your death sentence? How can you have contentment there? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you learn to be content when you're poor? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you think positive thoughts going through all you're going through, Paul? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How can you think positively? How can you follow positive people? How can you learn contentment? Because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Beautiful verse, powerful verse. Memorize it, love it, don't ever let it go. But keep it in context. It's not saying you're a superhuman with superpowers. It's saying you can learn to think positively. You can have a positive outlook on life. You can learn the secret of contentment because he's going to empower you to do that. Joy builders. And all of those joy builders are based on trusting in the Christ who strengthens us to accomplish them. All of those joy builders are based on depending on Christ. Hudson Taylor was the first missionary to China. He started one of the very first missionary societies. He kind of changed really how we do mission work. And it was he who said, God uses men who are weak and feeble enough to lean on him. We learn to think positively, to follow positive people, and to be content when we lean on him.